Welcome to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at citypoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd like you to turn it to Luke, the sixth chapter. Just going to go on with Josie's uh, testimony and really just put the word to it. And um, it's a really powerful, um, just a really powerful portion, and it's just amazing. I never know what the, I never know um, what all is said here, but then when they sit here and they open up, it's just amazing to me what God is doing, and I'm so grateful for it. And I'm so grateful that uh, we're learning to come out of hiding. And I want to encourage you today that, that that's, that's, where your, that's where your salvation, your freedom, your deliverance is. It's coming out of hiding. Because we all have, we all have come from some place. And uh, this portion of scripture in Luke chapter 6 is a, uh, I've been, you know, you notice over these four messages, I've been in the gospels the whole time because I'm using on this, the question that Jesus asked, he asked some tough questions, and we're going to look at another tough question that Jesus asked as we get into this this morning. It says, on another Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, and in the room with him was a man with a deformed right hand. Now, I want you to pay attention to that and and and. In the room with him was a man with a deformed right hand, a deformed right hand. Um, some versions, I've read this in, the, I think in the King James, for example, it says a man with a withered hand. Other, trans, uh, other translations uh, use a, a little different, but, but I want to give you the actual uh, word in the New Testament Greek actually comes from a word that means to be uh, scorched or to be diminished. Uh, in other words, it's in its comparison, it's smaller, it's weaker, it's, it's malformed. And so it, he says he, it comes with a deformed right hand. So everyone watched Jesus closely. Everyone was watching Jesus. We would say, well, isn't that a good thing? Um, man, that's a good thing that people were watching Jesus. But you have to realize in that room where everyone watched Jesus closely, especially the Jewish religious leaders and the religious scholars. So there was all these religious people in the room mostly. And here's a man in the room with this deformed right hand. I wanted to read to you out of the, the word is from a base word that, that says shrunken. So it was not fully developed. Now you get that picture, his, 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 his one hand was fully developed, this hand was withered, it was shrunken and not not useful because of its weakness. And everyone watched Jesus closely, especially 
the Jewish religious leaders and the religious scholars to see if Jesus would heal, not because they were excited that somebody would actually go free, but because it was the Sabbath day and they were trying to trap him in a religious test to see if he would violate the rules. Because according to the rules, you weren't supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. And what had happened is because of their religious tradition, they had built so many things into this that it, that it, that it became a test, you could say, of someone's devotion, but it was really hypocritical. And so what they had built is a system that was weighted toward hypocrisy. And it says they were waiting to see if Jesus would heal on a Sabbath day because they had a hang-up. They had a hobby horse in this. If you back up to the beginning of this chapter, they actually were having a hissy fit because his disciples had plucked some uh, wheat off of off of some plants on the way in, and they had shucked it and ate the wheat raw, which was a common thing to do. And they were so meticulous on these rules that the, the Pharisees were whining because they said, you're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, but have you not read the scriptures? Because what they had done is they had taken a bunch of laws and laid them over the scriptures, and by their traditions, they made the word of God none effect. And Jesus said, have you read where David and his men entered the temple one day, and they ate the, the bread off the table of showbread, which was reserved solely for the priests, because they were starving to death, and they were about to faint with hunger. And Jesus said this, the Sabbath, I, I wasn't born uh, to serve the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is subject to me. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, stay with me here. This, uh, just let, me, let me give you a foundation here. We'll get to this in a, in a minute. For they were eager to find a reason to accuse him of breaking the Jewish laws. So now we find their motive. Their motive was an, to find an, a reason that they could bring an accusation against him because they had, they, this man had a deformed hand, but they had malformed hearts. Now, <laughs> I better stick with this because, so I, look, I looked up the word accuse him. This is, this is not again, I've been, I've been teaching and preaching for over 30 years. And I was preparing this, and as I was preparing this, I just felt the Lord say, Mike, I want, you to, I want you to find out what it means to be accused. And so I first thing I did is because this is what I, I study the language, and I went and looked up the word accuse in the in the Greek, which is what this New Testament we read was written in. It was the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek. This Greek that it was written in is a very, very descriptive and beautiful language. 
And, and like we're in the English language, you know, we have one word that describes many things. Like take the word fast. Well, fast can mean like a car that's, don't you love fast cars? I do. I love the sound of a fast car too. When I was a kid, I had a Mustang, a 67 Ford Mustang Fastback with a factory 390 with headers and thrush glass packs on it. And even though it burned a quart of oil every 40 miles, I loved to hear this car run. And I eventually blew it up hearing it run. So we have cars that are fast. And then we say, I'm going on a 30-day fast, which has an entirely different meaning. Or we say, you know, that that person is fast, which has an entirely different connotation. Are you with me? So English words can have one word with many, but the Greek is a very descriptive language. And every word that was chosen, like that word love in the Bible, our English word love can mean so many things. But in the New Testament Greek, the word love is agape, and it's very distinct. And when you're talking about agape broke through, we're not talking about that Hallmark kind of love that's here today and gone tomorrow. We're not talking about the Hollywood kind of love. We're talking about God kind of love, the, the kind only God can love. And so in this word, in the Greek, the word accuse comes from the Greek word categoria. Now, I know I'm not pronouncing that right, and I've explained that to you. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't know how to speak Greek. I just study in it. Except when it comes to ordering in a restaurant, I speak it pretty good then. And it's gyros, not gyros, by the way. So get it right. But get this word, the word categoria. They, let's go back here. I want, you to, I want you to see this, that they find a reason to accuse him. Now, the Greek word is categoria. The word kata, this categoria is a compound out of two words. The word kata, which means down or against, and the word agora, which means to gather or to take up. And so the word categoria carries with it how that you put someone in a position where you, you, you decide we're against you. Are you with me? Are you all still with me? That we've already predetermined. Did they give Jesus a fair hearing? Did they give Jesus a chance? Did they walk in the room saying, I'm going to check this out because I'm going to see if the power of God is real. I'm going to see if the healing of God is really authentic. No, they did not. They came with the idea, we're going to find a reason that we're going to put against him so we can gather and take him up for what reason? Because in the accusation, then they have the grounds for which they can destroy him. 
Are you with me? And so this is where we get our English word. Now get this, because this is the revelation that I got out of this that I want to share with you this morning. And it's where we get our English word to categorize. And we live in a culture today that is always trying to categorize you. Because when you categorize people, especially people who scare you, who intimidate you, people who maybe have power over you or, or some ability to hurt you, the way that we can cope with them is to categorize them. In other words, we label them, and in the labeling of them, we discount them based on the label that we give them. They were going to label Jesus as a Sabbath breaker. But Jesus' real identity was healer. But they didn't want to deal with a healer. They wanted to deal with a lawbreaker. Because if they acknowledged him as healer, then they would have to acknowledge their own need of healing. Are y'all with me? And so they categorized Jesus and said, we're against him because he heals on the Sabbath. So what you find is Jesus saw a man with a withered hand. This is, this is what it says. Remember, Jesus, there was a man in the room. Everybody say there was a man. There was a man in the room. Jesus saw a man in the room. Jesus did not categorize this man as a crippled man. Did he have a crippling affliction? Yes. But Jesus did not see the crippling affliction. He saw a man who needed healing. Come on now. You know, I think this is important to us because how we see people determines how we relate to those people. And if we're not careful, we will categorize people. We'll categorize them in this way. We'll say, oh, man, that person's hopeless. You just categorized a person. If somebody would have looked at Josie a couple of years ago, if they would have categorized her according to the norms of our culture, they would have put her in a stereotypic position and then by that written her off. But because God does not 
categorize people according to their affliction, but according to their calling, we say, there is more for you, there is life for you, there is freedom for you. God doesn't call you sick, he calls you son, he calls you daughter, and it doesn't matter what your category according to this world, God is trying to call you up into him. And so they identified an inferior man. Jesus saw a man, this is so important, Jesus saw a man with a withered hand. Some of us are so good, and we have become so good at our acting and the image that we put forth, that we cast this idea that we have it all together. But when Jesus sees you, let me, tell, let me assure you something. Jesus sees you and he sees every area that you're weak in. Every, remember the, the, word, the word withered or the word uh, in, uh, deformed is shrunken. Every area of your life that has not been developed because maybe you got hurt in an area. Maybe some of you got hurt young. Maybe somebody used you, abused you. Somebody did something to you that caused you to stop right there. I, I, I want to just tell you something right now. When you go through life, it's, it's really difficult to, to, to get through it without carrying some hurts and some things. And I've carried my own. And I, I, there was a parts of me that because of the wounds in my heart that, that I, was, I was stopped in that area. I was like, listen, for years, I was like a little boy because, because of the lack of that, that affirmation and the father figure. I was like a boy. I was a grown man, but I was like a boy locked in this body, but I pretended to have it together. I had to pretend and act like I had it all together. But when Jesus saw me, he saw a man and he saw a man with the withered areas of his life and he saw me for what I could be not for what I was. And so they identified an inferior man. See, they said, this man's unworthy. This man's got a withered hand. They identified him and wrote him off as unworthy as the, as the religious people saw him. And here's why we categorize people. This is why we categorize people, so we can accuse them. You see, we say, well, you know, you're this because you're this, or you do this because you're this. And there's like an accusation behind it. And so it's easy for us to categorize people so we can then, we can put them in their little spot and then deal with them. We're doing this now as a nation. We're categorizing people by their political position. You're left, you're conservative. Why do we have to categorize people according to their position? Because the moment you start looking at them from their political position, you will discount their personhood. Can I go a little further? We categorize people according to their sexual orientation. I'm straight, I'm gay. If we categorize them 
by saying, oh, they're gay, then we, we relieve ourselves from any responsibility to bring hope, life, and even love to them because after all, they're gay. Well, I want to tell you something. Gay people matter to God. Gay people God loves and Jesus died for, and you cannot write them off simply because of something that is malformed in them no more than God would write you off. We use it to accuse people. See, the religious people were like, what's he going to do with this man? Well, see how he handles this guy. He's, he's inferior, and it's the Sabbath day. We're going to get two for one today. Also, they could accuse him. Then they could excuse them. See, now we have an excuse to crucify him. We have an excuse to kill him because he has fallen into this accusation. And then there is the abuse of them because all abuse is is the improper use of something. You know, you can abuse anything. And so what, what we do today is we, we, we live in a culture that wants to categorize you, and we are tempted to categorize them. And then on the basis of our categories, we decide if I'm going to relate to you or not. Listen, Jesus said, here's the basis of how we should be relating, not whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. Not whether you're rich or you're poor. Not whether you're educated or didn't graduate. Not based on your marital status, social status, or any other status. He said, by this, men will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. And when the church finds out how to love, and when love really does break through, the church will be an irresistible force on the earth. But as long as we keep accusing people, excusing our own behavior and attitudes toward people, and we keep abusing people, love is going to have a hard time working through. And so Jesus saw a man. People accuse, excuse, abuse, Jesus renews. I just kind of like that. Yeah, I worked a long time on that. Give me, some, give me some props right there. I'm serious. I'm like, God, this is a tough message. I need some help here. But this is so powerful because, see, Jesus renews us. You know, here's the thing. When God sheds his love in your heart, he, he gives you the ability to love the unlovable. Whoo. He gives you the ability to go, to go beyond what the culture and everything in society says. So let, let me just go over this quickly. He's, religion is obsessed with keeping sin out. 
See, that's what the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they were like, is Jesus going to heal on the Sabbath? They were all about sin and keeping sin out. But the same people who were so obsessed with keeping sin out forgot that the purpose of the Sabbath and everything else is to let God in. So if all, your, if all of your stuff, you listen, I come from a culture where everything was a sin. When we were young, when we were young in the faith, we didn't do anything because it was all sin. We, we, we were told you couldn't go to bowling alleys. I'm not so sure where sin is in a bowling ball and a pins, but somehow they said it was a sin. And then uh, we didn't go to movie theaters. I, for years, I, I didn't go see movies because it was a, considered a sin to go to a, to a movie. But having the sharp religious mind that we develop, I found out you could bring the movies home. And it was okay then. Because that's how religion operates. You know, I was watching, I was watching something the other day. I, I very seldom, I sat down and I thought, man... My, I just needed like I, I just needed to unswitch off my brain. You ever been like that? Man, I, my brain was like, and I thought, well, I'm going to watch a movie. I started, I, I, and I, I turned on um, Netflix, and um, I, I don't, I don't really know much about movies and Netflix because I don't, I don't watch Netflix hardly ever. I saw this movie. I liked the title. It sounded like it had a lot of killing and violence in it. <laughs> That's kind of the mood I was in. I got into this movie like four minutes. Nobody was with me. No, nobody was in the room with me. And I watched this in, the, in about five minutes. This inner voice in me said, this is not good. And I turned it off, got up, and went and aggravated the dog. <laughs> yeah, do you ever take a bulldog for a walk who doesn't want to go for a walk? The dog got in the driveway and sat down. And I'm like, come on, let's go. This is good for you. And she looked at me. And... But, but you see what I'm saying is that inner voice. But see, religious people are always concerned about what's going on on the outside. How does this look? Can I just tell you something? If, if you can't watch what you're watching, knowing that Jesus is sitting right beside you, then what are you doing? You, somebody told me, said, Pastor Mike, you should just be preaching against all this stuff. What good does that do? I did it for years, and I kept people, I, I kept, I, my church did not go to movies, but they were all watching them at home. I walked into one's house one day, and they had this whole wall of VHS, y'all remember that? VHS tapes, and I'm like, holy cow, you watch that, you watch that, you watch that? And, and they were like dropping their head and they're going, yeah. And I said, can I borrow them? <laughs> Just kidding. 
But you see, I'm not, I'm not going to listen. You have to, you have to find this place in God where you are, you're dealing with him and you're in relationship with him. You got to let God in. Some of you are withered because you're religious and you keep all of this stuff out, but you still haven't let God in. The Pharisees were pretty religious. In fact, they were holy, the holy ones. But they wouldn't let Jesus in. Religion is known more for what it is against than what it's for. What is it? I don't know, but I'm against it. I mean, that's... Everything, we're against it, we're against it, we're against it. But the gospel is about being for Jesus. It's about putting Jesus first and Jesus in front. Religion's always about, it's about I'm against this and I'm against that. Religion has an emphasis on the cross, but not on the joy See, Hebrews 12 says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Yeah, there's some crosses to bear, but when your cross becomes the, the, the burden that you have to bear and not the joy that you share, something's wrong. When the church looks sour and like it's been baptized in pickle juice, something's wrong. Come on, church. And so toxic faith, that's what the Pharisees and scribes had. They had a toxic faith. It was, it was producing death. No, nobody knows that better than Paul. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he was walking around killing people. And then he met Jesus and his whole life changed. Then he went about saving people. I got to move. Y'all get it. Jesus, knowing their every thought, said... Jesus, knowing their every thought, said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand here in the middle of the room. Whoo, it's, it's about to get messed up up in here. Jesus calls this man, here's so this room, let's just look at it like if this was the room, and you were all the religious people gathered in the room, and Jesus says, come on, guy. He saw this guy with his withered hand and all, and he stands him right in the center of the room. That's what it says, right? He's come on and stand here in the middle of the room. I want you to come front and center, right into the, everybody's attention. And so he says this, so he got up and came forward. Man, I thank God. You know, I thank God for hungry people who will get up and come forward when God calls them. And they're not ashamed and they're not embarrassed to, to do what he tells them to do. So he got up and came forward. And Jesus said to all who were there, let me ask you a question. Which is better, to heal or to do harm on the Sabbath? <clears throat> Which is better? That's, we, you know, we're like, that's a no-brainer. But let me ask you a question. Which is better? Which is better, to heal or to do harm on the Sabbath? I have come to save a life 
but you have come to find a life to destroy. Who's, I mean, were they trying to destroy this man with the withered hand? No, they were trying to destroy Jesus. And Jesus was in the room to save the man and save his life. And so get this picture. He's the center of the attention. And now read, let's read on a little further. One by one, Jesus looked into the eyes of each person in the room. Get this, get this folks. Because this is what happens every time we come together in the presence of God. Jesus is going to look you right in the eye. Hello? He's going to look you right in the eye. You know why? Because he, listen to me, get this, he's looking for you. Not what you're carrying. Not the brokenness in your life. And believe me, I, I think we have a ton of it. But when we get in this place, Jesus is not looking at our brokenness. He's not looking at where we've been, not even looking at what we've done. He's looking at you. And he looks you right in the eye. He looked them right in the eye. Each person in the room. Because you know, you ever heard that saying, the eyes are the window to the soul? Did you ever notice there's sometimes when you're talking, if I was talking to someone the other day, and as I got to, as I got to talking and the Lord was dealing with their heart, they kept dropping their head. They kept dropping their head. They just kept dropping their head. And I said, stop dropping your eyes. Look me right in the eye. And when they, their eyes fastened on mine, I said, you do not have to be ashamed anymore. Do you know how many Christians are walking around with a load of guilt and shame? There's, there's our song, Rachel. Shackled by a heavy burden. The good old Bill Gaither song. If you're under 40 or 50, you don't even know this song. Shackled by a load of sin, uh, by a heavy burden. Neath a load of guilt and shame. And then... The hand of Jesus touched me, and now I am no longer the same. He didn't, he didn't see my weakness. He didn't see my mess. He saw me. He fastened his eyes on me. Listen, no matter what you've done, I feel like this is for somebody today, that you need to hear that you, 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 you're that one that you have a hard time even breaking through into that worship because the moment the presence of God shows up, the devil tries to remind you of where you've been and what you've done. And what you have to do is stand in your place and say, there is now therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law 
of of life and liberty in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. And you just have to let Jesus stare you down and realize that he comes to you with open arms. You see, this is why it keeps people away because the load of guilt and shame gets pretty heavy. You feel like you're so malformed, deformed. You look around, compare yourself, and you say, but I've got this, and I'm struggling with that, and I've struggled with this for a long time, and, and it just seems like I can't. I get to, I, people say, well, I take, I take a step forward, and then I take two steps back because their eyes are on their stuff, and their eyes are on their past, and their eyes are on their undeveloped, malformed, deformed life that the enemy has used to try to steal, kill, and destroy. But then Jesus walks into the room and he looks him in the eye. Then he said to the man, stretch out your arm. You see, there's power in the word of God. When the word of God, Jesus, how many of you know Jesus is the word? And when the word says, stretch out, whatever was withered, whatever was deformed, whatever was weak, whatever was malformed, comes with the power of his word. And this man with this unformed, uh, undeveloped, deformed hand, Jesus says, stretch out your arm. And he stretched it out. I, 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 can't, I just can't help but think he was looking right at Jesus and stretched it right out toward Jesus. And then Jesus said this. This really blessed me right here. Jesus said, you know that hand that's been small, that couldn't carry anything, that couldn't hold anything, that couldn't receive anything. I want you to stretch it out. That's what the God that we serve is saying to people today who are filled with addiction and sin and mess. He's saying, come to me. Stretch out your hand. And then he's saying, oh, Open it. Just open it. Because it's time for you to receive. You can't take in anything with a closed hand. Open your hand. Open your heart. Open what you're, you're here to receive today. Because it says, open your hand. And with everyone watching intently, he stretched out his arm. And his hand was completely healed. I need you to do this. I want you to take your hand like this, and don't hit anybody with it. Put it up like put it like this up to your chest. Some of you today are afraid, and there's somebody here that you just got some of the best news in your life, and yet there's this thing of fear that, that the enemy's trying to hold over you because he's the he's the author the he's the He's the originator of fear. But I'll tell you today, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. With your hand in your closed, with your closed fist, put your fist closed, put it right to your heart. And come together as one, as a church, as a church of a people. All of us have been categorized. Every one of us have been categorized. I've been categorized as a lot of things. I've been called a lot of things. I've been accused of a lot of things. But I want to tell you something today. Jesus is saying, stretch out your arm. And I want you to stretch it out. And when you get it out extended, I want you to open your hand. I know it may seem silly, 
Leave your hand open. Just hold it out. Open. I speak to you today. Your dreams, your hopes, the things that you've longed for. Josie, your dream for Camp Reset, it's right in your hand. It's right in your hand. Your dream for a life that's full of joy and peace and, and forgiveness and, 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 and just the, 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 the happiness that, that comes from just knowing whose you are and who you are. It's right in your hand. Jesus took your withered, weak, malformed, deformed, unformed life, and he looked you right in the eye. He looked you right in the eye, and he said, stretch forth your hand and open it. And that very same minute, it says that man was healed. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, Break every category and every label that's been put over people right now. I break the label of poverty and I break the label of, of, of shame and guilt off hearts here today. Break the power of shame by the blood of Jesus. Set people free. Ooh. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In the name of Jesus, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let me tell you the difference between guilt and, or shame and sin. Sin is an act of something you've done. And you just go to God and you say, God, forgive me, I did this. But let me tell you why shame is such a powerful thing that has to be broken off your life. Because shame is something that you wear as who you are. You take shame on because it's not that I did something bad. Shame says, I am something bad. And I break the spirit of shame off people this morning. That you are not bad. Well, I did this. Yes, but you did. But that, that sin is not what God uses to identify you. He calls you his son and his daughter. That's how you find freedom. Jesus didn't come and die on a cross so you could keep carrying your guilt, your sin, your shame. He came to set you free. And as you stretch forth your hand and open it, Today, he puts in you love, love. Everybody say it. Love. Say it again. Love. Say, thank you, Father, for loving me. Even when I was at my worst, you loved me. Even when I was running, 
you love me. Even when you were the last one on my mind, you were still loving me. <laughs> wow. I just sense the Lord here just wants to take a minute. For every one of you, I want to break that guilt, that shame, that condemnation off of your life. So, Father, in the name that's above every name, and through the power of the blood that breaks and forgives and cleanses all of our sins, neither do I condemn you. Go. Go in righteousness. Go and sin no more. Go in purity. Go in power. Open your hand. You don't have to pretend anymore. You don't have to act and you don't have to be somebody or something you're not. God loves you and he loves you right where you are. Would you stand with me this morning? Everyone in the house, would you stand? Can we just take a moment? We're just going to take a moment here and just worship. Would you just lift your hands with your hands wide open? Would you just lift those hands that are wide open before the Father in love today? Because he wants to take you and put you in another category. Think about this. When he found Abram, and he had to take Abram through a process. And yes, Abram proved himself to be a good servant. He proved himself to be an obedient uh, follower. He, he, had, he was a man of faith. But there came a point where God said, look, Ab Abraham, I want you to know you gotta, you, you're in a whole different category. And Abram's like, what, what? He says, you're my friend. You're my friend. You're my friend. You're my friend. Abraham, the friend of God. God, I pray that you'll break the category that has held people back and held people down. Can I tell you one other verse? Look at me real quick. I got to say this. In Revelation chapter 12, I think it is verse 10, you find that word categorize in that place where it says that he cast Satan out of heaven, the accuser of the brethren, the categorizer of the brethren. And he cast him down, and Jesus the Lamb triumphed over him. That's what Jesus is doing right now. He's breaking the accusations. How many of you have, how many of you have struggled with some accusations in the last few days? 
Father, in the name of Jesus, today you're reappointing us to hope. When Lori read that verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you, Lord. I know the category that I have lined out for you. It's called hope and blessing and prosperity. Plans to bless you and prosper you and give you an expected end. Today I break every accusation of of Satan and darkness over people this morning and I say be healed, be free in the name of Jesus. See, the Lord sees you in an entirely different way than I think most of us see ourselves. Most of us are still looking at ourselves through our brokenness and through our, through our failures and through our past. God's looking at you through the eyes of love and he sees nothing but your future and nothing but his perfect work in you now. And I want to just, I just want to encourage you to not take on this toxic thinking. Break loose of this categorization. Think in terms of love. The Bible says in Philippians, if there be any virtue, think on these things. If there be any good, if there be anything that's of good report, think on these things. Have you realized we're living in a culture that's trying to get your mind like a toxic waste dump? And, and God's like, I want to clean up your mind. I want to clean up this toxic place in your head. And I want you to think on these things. I want you to think on what's pure, what's lovely, what's of good rapport. That may mean you have to turn the news off. That may mean you'll have to turn Netflix off too. But I'm going to tell you, when you're walking in peace... There's nothing worth it, nothing, nothing worth more than just walking in the peace of God. Thank you for listening to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at citypoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church.